The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So again, a big welcome to everyone. It's taking a few months to reflect and integrate the Buddha's teachings from the Anapanasati Sutta. That word Anapanasati means mindfulness of breathing in and out. And it uses the breath initially, as you saw in the guided meditation instructions, and many of you know now, as an exclusive object of awareness. But then most of the remaining 14 steps out of the 16 are really about that whole process of awakening. And uh, we think about this as awakening to the body, the heart relating to the body, free from distractedness and free from unwholesome qualities. So we're being intimate with the body, with a mind that doesn't need, doesn't have greed or hatred, aversion, fear, or distractedness. So the sort of when we get to the end of the fourth instruction, one trains oneself breathing in, calming the body, one breathes out, calming the body. It's really an expression of the well-being or the happiness of the mind and body, the mind knowing the body in a really simple and beautiful and healing way. And that is expressed or that manifests in our subjective experiences, the body being really calm and settled. And I've been saying, you know, it doesn't mean that all all of our bodily injuries are suddenly gone. It just means the mind is relating to the body as it actually is in a way that's really beautiful. So what's beautiful isn't the body, it's the mind's opening to the body, intimacy with the body, acceptance of the body. That's really what allows the body to settle. It's just like when we're in community, you know, whether it's our family or a bigger community, and we're feeling really held and accepted and not needing to be different than we are. And what do we do? We relax because we feel accepted and like we belong, right? Well, these relationships matter, including the mind, the way the mind is relating to the body. So that's the work of the first tetrad. Tetrad is just the word for the four, right? So the first four instructions, the first tetrad. The work is really this integration of body and mind and healing the way the mind knows the body. And really, the mind knowing the body is just how the mind learns to relate and show up for the wider world. If we have a neurotic relationship with our body, or if we tend not to be aware of our body, that pattern tends to express itself all over the place in our lives, where we're disconnected, or, you know, if we have a controlling relationship with our body, the mind knows the body in a controlling, dominating way, that same habit then we tend to catch in other relationships in our world, in our lives. If we've given up on the relationship, that tends to be a pattern that shows up in other places in our lives. 
And that brings us to the second set, and we talked about this last week. And let me talk a little bit about how the maturing of our first four instructions. So the first instruction isn't even considered the first instruction. It's the Buddha says in this discourse, we establish mindfulness to the four. I think the way I would sort of understand that is we remember what it is to be mindful. And don't don't think that's an easy task. It's something that we want to keep refining our whole path. What do we mean by being mindful? And so in a fresh way, so we're not on autopilot, we remember, okay, being mindful, being present means remembering, oh, it's like this now. We're remembering the present moment. We're remembering that this is being known. That's establishing mindfulness to the fore. And we're using the physicality of breathing as a support for remembering what mindfulness is. Oh yeah, breathing in is being numb. Oh yeah, breathing out that physicality, whether you're feeling it as a rising and falling of the abdominal wall, or you're feeling it as a touching in and out of the nostrils, or some other physical way that you feel that natural process of breathing in and breathing out, whatever works, really. And like I've been saying, it doesn't even need to be the breath, although the breath is a traditional object that is useful for many, many folks, probably the great majority of folks who are interested in these teachings. But there are other ways for one to ground their awareness in the present moment. You can even just go right to whole body awareness if you've got a lot of emotional baggage around the breath like if you've had a lot of breathing problems in your life through asthma or whatever it might be. So when we are good with the first four instructions and we have that experience of the mind relating to the body in a generous, kind, non-distracted, intimate way, then the body, to some degree at least, is experienced as a natural process, a natural happening. So since instead of the body sort of being fixed as a concrete thing, muscle, bones, flesh, right? Because that's mostly concept. The body is experienced as an energetic flow of sensation. And that can be a nice way for us to go to the fifth step. Because the second set of four, beginning with the fifth step, is really about transforming how the mind relates to mental activity. But we need some medicine in order to transform the way we relate to the thinking mind, to mental activity. And the medicine we need is the first two steps, where the Buddha is asking us to train ourselves to notice joy as we breathe in and out, and to notice ease as we breathe in and out. So the One way, there are many ways, and as you get more confident in what joy is, you can go directly there, because it's as if the mind knows where to find joy. We always think that, I'm not joyful, and then when we have that imagining, we think joy is somewhere else, far away, maybe millions of miles away. And then that idea that we're identified with becomes a kind of reality. Joy will not be accessible. So we should change that idea and have a different idea, like, there's always joy. I may not be aware of it. 
I may not have confidence in that idea, but I'm going to work with that idea that joy is never far away. Because joy is just, it, it's the mental experience that arises when wisdom understands how alive everything is, how unfixed everything is. So now going back to the fourth step where we have this integration of body and mind and the mind that knows, wisdom, is noticing that the body is really alive because the mind isn't being parental to the body. It's holding, relating, being with the body in an open and non-fixed, non-distracted on the one hand and non-controlling, not being a parent on the other hand. So the body is just expressing its nature, which is a flow of sensation, right? So when we notice that free flow in the body, notice the flow part of it, and that will lead to the mind beginning to feel some joy. Because it reminds the mind, it reminds wisdom how alive, how light, how free, things can be. It's a little bit like, you know, those games we played as kids where we'd spin or whatever we would do, even just running down a hill. There's something about the controlling mind giving up the task of control. And we, the mind begins to intuit how everything is happening on its own. Everything's a flow, a movement. So when we're ready to sort of learn the map and we're on the fifth step and we get that instruction, one trains oneself, breathing in, experiencing joy. So the Buddha's asking, amongst all the things that awareness can pay attention to, choose to be attentive to the experience of joy as you breathe in, as you breathe out. So look in your energetic bodily experience, this is just one way, for that feeling of things being unfixed. And really tune into that sense of vibration or movement or flow or tingling or whatever it might be, wherever you might feel it in the body and mind, a lightness, a fluttering a movement. And just keep that sense of lightness and flow and things happening on their own, keep it, keep keeping it in mind. As you breathe in, just for that duration, then again, as you're breathing out, just for that duration, keeping it in mind, keep it in mind, because the more we respect joy enough to keep it in mind, the more we start noticing it more and more. So that's the spreading and the deepening of joy. So what's the problem here? Well, what will often arise, especially in the beginning, is some doubt, like, there isn't any joy. I must be doing something wrong, or it works for other people, but not for me. And what does the practicing mind do? It attends, it pays attention to the thought, I can't do this. But by paying attention to the thought and identifying with the thought, I can't do this, well, that has some consequence, right? The mind gets entangled with that belief. 
And we're not going to find joy in that belief. <laughs> we're going to find t tension, right? Because what we pay attention to, how we pay attention to that object, it matters. So this is where persistence comes in. Whether you feel like a total failure, just keep picking up the task. Oh, the Buddha's asking me to train myself that while I'm breathing in, do your best to keep in mind joy. While you're breathing out, do your best to keep in mind joy. Now, if you really feel like you can't do this, then go back to one of the earlier steps. You know, you can go back to the first step, just establishing mindfulness to the fore, the second place where we're noticing, going from gross, longer breaths to shorter breaths as everything settles, to that more inclusive awareness of the whole body, to the calming effect in the body. Right? You can go, always go back to one of those earlier steps, develop the momentum there, and then see if there's enough confidence to attune to some joy as you're breathing in, breathing out. And then the ease is just a more resonant, it's like a more satisfying happiness than the joy is. And it's like a, ah, that, that almost visceral sense of contentment being tasted. Ah, I don't really need to go anywhere because this experience of well-being appears to be satisfying enough to relax that sense I got to get somewhere in order to be satisfied. That's what we mean by noticing the contentedness of ease. It's that sense of don't need to get anywhere or go anywhere. So we're attuning to that as we're breathing in and breathing out. And then as that matures, as that spreads and deepens, then quite naturally the mind's going to relate to other phenomena like the thinking, the mental activity with a lot of dispassion. Because now I'm not using my thinking mind to try to get someplace satisfactory, someplace where there's some contentment and ease, because the body, heart, mind feels established in ease. So then it gazes out or in at whatever is moving, mental activity, whatever it might be, because the mental activity has its own momentum. You know, we're going to keep worrying and thinking, imagining, planning based on whatever momentum the thinking mind has. And we don't need to neurotically repress the thinking mind. We can just notice thinking is thinking in this dispassionate way. Oh yeah, that's what the thinking mind does, it thinks. And this is a real breakthrough where we realize that thinking doesn't have to be turned into a problem. And then lo and behold, this is the eighth step now, one trains oneself, breathing in, notice the quieting of the mind, the quieting of mental activity. Breathing out, notice the quieting of the thinking mind, mental activity. And the quieting is the natural result of being intimate with thinking, with dispassion. Not suppressing the thinking, but letting thinking just be thinking. But we're not feeding it with our identification, our attachment, to the thoughts. It's just like someone's left a radio on and there's thinking. Oh, okay, thinking. And we can do that because we did the first two jobs well. We really 
learned how to keep joy in mind so that it could spread and deepen. And then we learned how to keep in mind a more resonant happiness, sukha, ease, contentment, until it started to spread and deepen. And that really creates a kind of well-being for the body and mind, which allows it to be dispassionate towards other activity, bodily activity, mental activity, sounds, sights, whatever. It's just because I'm okay being where I'm at. I don't need to use my thinking mind to get figure something out, get somewhere. So with the quieting, so with the first, we really are healing the body-mind relationship and healing the habit of distractedness, like I don't even want to be connected to my body. So we get addicted to being caught up in stuff because we don't want to come home to the body because <laughs> it doesn't feel good. And here with the first four, we really learn how to be with the body in a beautiful, open, holistic way. And the body responds by settling and being calm. Then we look at mental activity from the perspective of feeling joy and ease with dispassion. And we have, we really heal the relationship of the wisdom, the knowing mind with mental activity. And we see mental activity as just another natural process that we can let it be what it is. And it tends to quiet down and settle. And we feel the happiness of a quiet mind, of a settled mind. Just like in the first four, we felt the happiness of a settled body. Now we're feeling the happiness of a settled mind. And that allows wisdom to recognize not the activity of the mind, but the space of the knowing mind itself. And obviously this is much more subtle work. And in the next two or three weeks, we'll really emphasize the next tetrad, the next four instructions. Now just go through it quickly now. One trains oneself Oops. One trains oneself breathing in, experiencing the mind or the space of the mind. Breathing out, experiencing the mind, the space of the mind. And then the word next one is gladdening. So again, one trains oneself breathing in, gladdening, appreciating the space of the mind, space of the heart. One breathes out, gladdening, appreciating the space of the heart. It's almost like, it's such a, um, like in terms of Buddha's teachings, it's a real <clears throat> deepening of self-esteem, to use a sort of Western psychological term, because <clears throat> we realize there's something here and now, turns out not to be personal, but it's still here and now that is truly beautiful, truly worthy of appreciation. And that's the space of the mind, not a particular thought or even a particular emotion, but just the silent, open, unblemished, unstained space of the present moment, space of the heart. You know, words are never going to be so good here. This is something that we can directly open, intuit, rest in even. And that's really what the third set of four instructions are about. Recognizing the space of the mind, appreciating it, 
And then in a way we're purifying it, we're noticing the space and we're in a sense teasing out any ownership, any selfing with that space of the present moment, the space of the knowing mind. We're seeing it as it is in all of its simplicity. Without any projection, this is me, I'm aware. We don't need that personal pronoun. There's awareness, there is the space, and I don't need to add anything to my actual experience. I don't need to claim it. That just creates a little distortion. Just We're really learning to rest, to trust the space of the mind. So the third part of that, recognizing, appreciating, the third part is really the, what is the word here? <clears throat> I guess they translate it as concentrating, but you could say purifying or stilling the space of the mind so that it's empty of any selfing, any idea of self, because it doesn't need an idea of self. And then that really sets up the letting go, a taste of the mind, uh, an experiencing of the mind, absence of any selfing. What is the experience of this heart, space of the heart, space of the present moment, when selfing has ceased? What's that experience? Well, we should be interested in that, you know, even if we don't know or even have any intuition or even that much intellectual understanding of what these words point to. We just do our best because it's a natural process that unfolds when we recognize, appreciate, quiet, really keep in mind the emptiness of that space at the present moment. Then we realize something, this moment, this space of the mind, isn't dependent on any selfing, doesn't require any selfing. That's a big insight to realize that this moment doesn't require a sense of self. And it changes the mind stream or life as it goes forward, each time that insight deepens. So that's where we'll be going in the next uh, few weeks and I wanted to end today just to suggest that uh, for those of you who are going to stay for the small groups today, one thing to really learn from each other about is wise effort. Like, how do I persist in each of these? You know, we're just talking about the first three sets of instruction, each set having four instructions. So when we're working with the body, working with mental activity, working with the space of the mind, what does wise effort, wise, skillful, gentle, but persistent effort look like? And when does effort get too tight and not helpful? And when does my effort get too lax and not helpful? And how can I sort of increase the effort, the energy, and how can I relax it? so we can get it just right. You know, so much, especially at this level of practice, is about balance, which means we're going to get, either from ourselves or from a teacher, we're going to get instructions that, you know, are going to say, go a little this way or go a little that way. Because the instruction, the medicine we need will always be based on how we're off. So if we're leaning to the, in my case, to the left, then we need instructions that say, go to the right. 
And if we're leading to the right, we need instructions that say go to the left. If we're too tight with our efforting, we need to remind ourselves to relax and trust. It's a natural process. If we're too lax, we need to remind ourselves to be interested, to connect, to follow the instruction, to find where we might connect with an instruction and to really give ourselves to that instruction. Because this whole awakening process, although it's a natural process, it won't happen on its own because the mind has its habits of distractedness and superficiality. So in a perfect world, we'd be free, but we're not free. We're caught up in unhelpful habits of mind to be distracted, to be disconnected, to relate with greed, with aversion and fear, and with denial and distraction. So because we have these established habits, there are these instructions. If we didn't have bad habits, we wouldn't need the Buddha's instructions. So remember that the Buddha's instructions aren't sort of for enlightened beings. They're for people who have bad habits of greed, of aversion and fear, of distractedness and denial and superficiality. You know, greed, hatred, and delusion is sort of the short version of our habit energies. So then we basically are given instructions that are counterbalancing the habits of the mind. So keep that in mind in terms of effort. And it, and then just a lot of patience. I don't know if I mentioned this before. I know I, um, I, I mentioned some of what was in that article from Ajahn Sumedho in his little book, Now is the Knowing. And he has a chapter on the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of breathing. And in there he, he writes about a child, like we have to learn to walk by falling down. And he gives that example of babies when they're learning to walk, falling down all the time. But they don't give up and we don't encourage them to give up. Oh, you know what? I think it's just going to too, be too hard for you. You know, you don't really need to learn to walk. No, we, we kind of create bridges so they can keep on keeping on. And this is the real, goes to the heart of what persistence is. These 16 instructions, and I pasted them at the beginning of the chat so you can find them there. And they're in the weekly email, all the resources if you want to do some study. But you might want at least a list of the 16 steps so you can memorize them and realize them in your own heart and mind, in your own experience. Um, so then it's just like we get this pointing out instruction, we can keep knocking on that door, going back over and over again, and really learn like when we hold to the instruction too tightly, trying too hard, being too parental, then we just remember some version of, honey, it's okay to relax. And when we're not attentive enough to the instruction, not devoted enough, not interested in what does this instruction point to in my actual experience, then we want to, we want to remind ourselves, honey, I think you gotta, if you want to get anywhere, you have to show some real devotion. You have to really get interested. You have to be willing to make mistakes and learn from them. Because whether if we, you know, it isn't, we don't learn from success. We make mistakes initially because we don't quite get what the verbal instruction is pointing to in our subjective experience. So we take a shot at it 
And we realize, oh, that's not it. That, that's going in the direction of more tension, more controlling, or whatever. And we refine it. We try something else, and we'll get it. Let me just read this paragraph to end today. This is, again, from Ajahn Sumedho, this Western, Western Buddhist monk, one of our elders in our early Buddhist tradition here in the West. He wrote this little booklet, Now is the Knowing. And it's one of the resources um, in that uh, set of resources. The more we take the easy way, the path of least resistance, the more we just follow our desires, the more the mind becomes sloppy, heedless, and confused. It's easy to think, easier to sit and think all the time than to not think. It's a habit we've acquired. Even the thought, I shouldn't think, is just another thought. To avoid thought, we have to be mindful of it, to put forth effort by watching and listening, by being attentive to the flow in our minds. Rather than thinking about our minds, we watch it. Rather than getting caught in thoughts, we keep recognizing them. This is really that place, um, seventh instruction, where we're looking at thoughts with dispassion in the second set of four instructions. Thought is movement. It is energy. It comes and goes. It's not a permanent condition of mind. Without evaluating or analyzing, when we simply recognize thought as thought, it begins to slow down and stop. This isn't annihilation. This is allowing things to cease. It is compassion. As the habitual obsessive thinking begins to fade, Great space we never knew were there begins to appear. And that's what sets up the ninth instruction, experiencing the space of the mind. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.